Education Trends is brought to you by our friends at VMO Education. VMO works with higher education institutions to develop and implement income-based finance programs on their campuses. Want help designing an ISA program? VMO has you covered. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more about how VMO partners with and designs ISAs for world-class higher education institutions. It's never a bad time to give back. Dr. Leroy Marishta believes that, and as president of California State University East Bay, he tries to impart that advice on every student that walks onto his campus. Dr. Marishta grew up on a grape and plum farm in Fresno, California, where he was encouraged to work hard but study harder. His experience in the classroom, specifically noticing how students of different diversities were treated with different expectations, shaped his beliefs. Everyone deserves an education, he thought, and he wanted to make that possible. By expanding campuses, listening to students' needs, and going back to his roots to give back, Dr. Marishta has impacted countless lives. In today's episode, he talks about his motivations and some of the trends he is excited about in higher education. He's not afraid of tossing out old ideas and being open to what's new and necessary, and he speaks about how universities, including Cal State East Bay, are striving to stay ahead of the curve and give their students the most useful knowledge that will help them succeed when they leave campus, both that afternoon after class or for good with a diploma in hand. All right, Dr. Marishta. That's yes, how you pronounce it, right? That's it. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I'm uh, born and raised in California. I'm a first-generation college student. I uh, grew up on a small farm outside of Fresno, California. Three families grew up on there, and my father had gone to ninth grade and pulled out of school. My mother graduated high school. And then their their goal was for their children to go to college. And we didn't know any better. We just went along with, the, with it and decided it was a good thing to do. We did it. And here I am today as a president of university, which is pretty astounding to it, me. It's amazing. I know. So I read that you grew up on a grape and a plum farm, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I wanted to ask you what that experience was like for you and, and how your parents encouraged you okay. to pursue your education. Because like you said, they didn't achieve a higher education. They didn't get degrees, not when you were young. I'm not sure if they did later in life, but what was it like growing up with that kind of a family structure and how did they encourage you to to pursue your goals? So we grew up on the farm and it's hard work. It's very hot. It's very dirty work. And as you said, we had table grapes and plums and all of us worked. I started working on the farm during the summers when I was nine years old. And so every summer I worked on the farm and helped out. You know, as I said, my parents encouraged us that college it didn't seem like a choice. Mm-hmm. It was we're supposed to go to college, even though I they see. had never gone. And they felt that that was going to be the avenue for us to succeed and to better ourselves. And so they brought us up with good values in terms of hard work, in terms of ethics, in terms of being good to people, in terms of serving community and serving others. So those values that they put into me were the ones that helped me to succeed, uh, that I, I should persevere. Mm-hmm. And that they, I saw them working very hard. My father, unlike a lot of Asian parents, said, go be anything you want to be. Just don't be a farmer, because it's too hard a life. They didn't tell me I had to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, but it was growing up, and I had siblings and some cousins that grew up with me, so we were really like a larger nuclear family that we got along very well. We worked together. We learned about working with others. The community I grew up in was probably half Chicano. And so most of my friends were Chicano. And what I saw there was 
uh, them struggling or them not treated as well in their educational pursuits. Yeah. So while I was encouraged to pursue by my parents and others and even my teachers, they weren't always given the same benefit of the doubt or the encouragement to pursue that, that maybe they should not seek higher education. Right. And so that was something that stuck with me and why I ended up going into what I do. Was that something that, that you appreciated immediately or did that hit you later? Like when was that realization? It was, something that happened? It was probably really later after when I got into college mm -hmm. and then I was seeing who was going to four-year colleges, who were going to community colleges. And most of my Chicano friends were going to community colleges or not going to college at all. And others of us were going to four-year colleges. So the odds of transferring from a community college to a four-year college are pretty low. And so that was putting them in a, into a direction that I kind of wondered at that time and thought how unfair that was. One of the probably the seminal moments in my life was when we were supposed to sign up to take the SAT, the Scholastic Aptitude yep. Test. Here I was in the classes with the kids that should know better. The counselor came in and said, it's due this Friday. I didn't know what it was signing up for. I didn't know what colleges I was going oh, to go man. to. And here I'm supposed to be one of the kids on the brighter side right. that should know all these things. And I didn't know that. So when I applied to college, I said, okay, well, I had Fresno State was my safeguard because I grew up there. I had gone to UC Berkeley on a visit because my relatives lived, up, lived in Berkeley right. and took me on a tour there. And then I had heard of Stanford. So I decided you could apply to three places on the SAT to get it mm -hmm. sent for the cost of the test. So those are the three that I chose. And how did that work out for you? Okay, I got admitted <laughs> to Fresno State. Yep. I got admitted to UC Berkeley yep. and Stanford turned me down. Ugh. But as it turned out, I felt that that worked out the very best for me. I ended up going to UC yep. Berkeley and I had the really good experience there and the people that I met. I thought it would have been a different path for mm -hmm. me if I had gone to Stanford, partly because of the students that go there as well as how small it is right. in terms of Berkeley. And I think the larger campus and the different, more public setting really made a big difference in the way I grew up and learned things. Going back a little bit, what are some of your earliest memories of education and learning and what really stood out to you? You talked about the people you went to school with. Were there any teachers or any any lessons or classes that really like made an impression on you? My most favorite teacher of all time was Mrs. Booth. Okay. She was my third grade teacher. Going way back. Going way back. <laughs> and she was the one, I believe, that really probably instilled in me the self-confidence. She believed in me. She thought I was, you know, her jewel or whatever. And she treated me, treated me very, very well taught me good, some good things and taught me really, you know, some discipline, but also learning things. But uh, hopefully I wasn't the teacher's pet. <laughs> I hope my classmates didn't believe that, but it could have been the case. But she was the one that really instilled in me a desire to learn mm -hmm. and that I kept that throughout. So you went to, you went to Berkeley, like you said, and you also went to San Francisco State and you went to Harvard. You have a pretty long education history. What were those experiences like going to a higher education institution? And now how do you look back at it as the president of a higher education institute? Berkeley, I went there and you know, it's huge, yeah. right? It's uh, at that time it was probably about 25,000 students. At my high school, I was the student body president, and so I was kind of like, you know, everybody knew me, and I wanted to be anonymous. So I went to Berkeley, <laughs> sure. and there I was. I there was anonymous, go. so that was good. And then I found my path there. And there you had to really 
work hard at the learning process because you had to, if you wanted to meet with the professors, you had to take that initiative to、mm-hmm. do that. So you could become very isolated and and do your own little thing or whatever. But there, the learning process was good in terms of I found out where I fit in terms of different things. I had done well in English, and so I had skipped out of a class, and so then I got into classes with upperclassmen. Okay, and I found out, oh, I'm as good or better than they are, <laughs> and so, so then again, building some self confidence. So、mm-hmm. that's it. So you kind of find your place there. I had a wonderful experience there at Cal. Then I decided I was going to become a lawyer initially. Right, that's what was my goal, and、yeah. then I decided that. I took I took some classes with the law. I took this one constitutional law class. About two hundred fifty students in the class. Ninety nine percent wanted to be attorneys. I sat in that class. I got an A in the class. I loved the research. I loved going doing the case law and things like that. But I decided I didn't necessarily like my fellow classmates as much. <laughs> Not they, the lawyer type. <laughs> yes, they seemed a little bit too pushy. Too. A little bit arrogant, and I decided based on that that if these are going to be my colleagues, maybe that's not going to work for me.、Mm-hmm. So I decided then to go into counseling because I was I was going to end up changing my major to psychology, and I decided that was where again, as you had asked earlier about at what point in time did I really come to that kind of conclusion? Well, it was at that point in time that I was thinking more about my old classmates、right. in high school. And thinking that maybe this is the way I could help. I could work with students to assist them to see that they have possible opportunities they might not have imagined before. So that's how I went into counseling. Went to San Francisco State, got my degree there, and and then got my first job in higher education at Education Opportunity Program at San Francisco State. So I was doing that. And then there was my colleagues were saying there's a big change coming along that to be an administrator you might have to go to get a doctorate degree. So I had never dreamed of getting a doctorate degree. Right. When I got my master's, I thought that was it. That's good. That's fine. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it was beyond my expectations of my parents. Right. So I ended up getting my master's degree. But then here I was in this program working, worked about three and a half years there. But people were saying you need to get a doctorate degree. And so finally, I got convinced maybe I do. So I applied to UC Berkeley because they had a good program there, and then when I took the GREs, the graduate record、yep. exams, I checked on the minority locator service just out of curiosity to see what universities would send me in the, any information. And Harvard was the only one that sent me anything. Just a small school. Just a small、yeah. school. But <laughs> okay, go backwards. I was a poor little country boy. Yeah. And I didn't know exactly where Harvard was. I knew it was in <laughs> Massachusetts. But I wasn't sure, and when I got the information, it said Harvard Graduate School of Education. So I thought, is that really the Harvard? Because、mm-hmm. it doesn't say Harvard、right. University on it. And so I asked my wife because she had visited there once before, and she said, "Yeah, that's it, Cambridge." I said, "Oh." <laughs> so I first threw away the notice, and my wife said, "Where is that? What did you do with it?" I said,、I、"Put it into the recycling bin." She goes, "No, you should send it in. Why yeah, not?" Why not? And so we had only been married a year, and I said, "Really? <laughs> Sounds great. You'd be willing to move?" She goes, "How long is it going to take you?" I said, three years of course study, and hopefully, or two years of course study, and hopefully a year of gathering my data. Maybe not finish my thesis, but at that time, but you know, be ready to move." She said, "Let's well go for it." So I applied, got admitted there, went to Harvard, and it was a very different opportunity for me. Yeah, it, cha- it changed my life in a different kind of way. I met people from all over the fifty states, from all over other countries, and got to really, again, learn more about higher ed, but about people 
Yeah. I think that's what it all comes down to in terms of that's why I enjoyed counseling. I enjoyed psychology and I enjoyed my experience at Harvard in terms of the people I met and the experiences that they shared with me. What's the biggest belief that you have about people and their inclination to to want to learn? I think people want to make a difference. And the way that you can make a difference in life, one way, one avenue, is to get education so that you could pursue some of the passions and dreams you have. Everybody doesn't need to have a degree to do that, but it might help in terms of depending on what your passions are and how much you want to accomplish. And how do you go about making that a reality now as the president of Cal State East Bay? I basically indicate to everybody, and I've said this a number of times, that everybody at the university, all the employees matter. Every person matters. Going from my most renowned faculty member to my administrative team, to the staff, to the students, and to all, all the staff, whether they be the custodians, whether they be the groundskeepers, that they help to make the success and the experience of every one of our students the best possible. And so everybody has a role. I guess I want to go back a second mm -hmm. to your earlier question. Yeah. The thing I learned on the farm was that everybody mattered. My father treated all the employees that he hired very, very well. And I learned from him that you have to treat everybody equally and treat them with respect and dignity because that's what's going to help you succeed in the long run because they're going to do the work that you want them to do. Mm -hmm. So going back into current day. So I really work hard to tell everybody that everybody matters. Everybody makes a difference in what they do, that they can make a difference in everybody, every student's life. And for the students, I want them to believe that they, this is their opportunity. And we have 60% first generation students at Cal State East Bay, a very ethnically diverse community. Yeah. And the students come there and our faculty say, our students are wonderful because they have no sense of entitlement. And they are there to learn, they're there to work hard, and they're willing to work hard and try to learn what they want to do. So it's a wonderful opportunity for me to help lead an institution where you have students like that, you have faculty and staff who want those people to succeed, and so really trying to move that forward in a way that we can provide every opportunity and meet students where they are and help assist them to succeed. You've gone through so much education yourself. You got a master's, a doctorate, you've worked in higher education. I think you did something like 29 years with San Francisco State, right? And now you're president of Cal State East Bay. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen throughout your, your career in education? Well, I think one of the things that has really changed dramatically, and it's related to technology, where before information changed very slowly, Right, so what I learned in a classroom at Cal or at San Francisco State at Harvard applied for a while and was not an issue. But things are changing so rapidly now. Technology has aided that and has provided us opportunities to grasp more and more information. I mean, information is doubling every two years and we have not higher yeah. than that, right? <laughs> I mean, and you know, it depends on, on what you're looking at, right? I mean, data is changing 90% over a course of a year. right? And, and so where things are evolving so quickly that some of the technical knowledge that we have is outdated. The students that we have taking their first year of classes, by the time they're juniors, half of it is outdated. Mm -hmm. And so things are evolving so quickly, and that's probably one of the biggest changes that I see occurring. How do you go about 
addressing that because if you tell a kid that we're going to teach you this, but two years from now, it's not going to be applicable. Like, how do you go about changing the system so that it works for them? Okay. So part of it is that you're going to have to teach the basis, right? Mm -hmm. Of any type of discipline. You need discipline. a strong foundation. You need a very strong foundation and you're going to have to continue to learn. It's going to be a lifelong learning process. But part of what we're really trying to teach our students too, is that, you know, the knowledge you're always going to have to continue to learn and try to grasp. But how do you apply that knowledge? Mm -hmm. How do you how do you deal with that information that you've gotten? And there's these other skills that I believe employers and others are looking for in terms of communication. You want people to be able to communicate, understand things when they read it, communicate it in writing, communicate orally what you've learned and what you're trying to do, but also be able to work in teams, to work collaboratively with people, to think creatively, to think and to problem solve that you've got to do these types of things. You've got to learn to work with diverse communities, with diverse opinions and diverse ideas. And basically it's a matter of how do you teach people to take what you've learned and apply it in an ethical and decision-making way that's going to be good for the company you're working for, for, for society, and for yourself. And so it's that mix of things that we're trying to teach our students. We have what's called institutional learning outcomes, and within those are those things of being able to think critically, to be able to communicate, to be able to work with diverse communities, to think sustainably, to really try to incorporate kind of the ongoing learning and working with people types of skills that are going to be necessary for you to succeed in whatever job you do. But yes, you will have to continue to learn more and more information as time goes on. You can Google things, you know that, <laughs> as well as I do. Yep. And you can find out things that you didn't know before, right? For sure. And some of you've got to test to see whether that's reality or not. <laughs> I think it's a change. It's a change for students, for sure. But it's also a change for professors and educators who are now having to learn how to educate in a different way, too. Do you find that students and professors and educators are working more collaboratively to find a way to make things work more? Like how are professors changing to meet those needs too? Part of it is through technology, mm -hmm. through online teaching. We're one of the leaders in the California State University system in online teaching. We first started our first degree program in the last century. In 1999, wow. we had a master's in online teaching and learning. That was our first online program. We have about 10 degree programs. About every term, about a third of our students take an online course. If a student has a choice, partly because of the type of students we have in terms of students needing to work, we have a lot of students who are receiving Pell Grants, which means they have come from a lower socioeconomic background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they have to work. So part of it is they have a strategy that they've taken take an online course to fill out the rest of their face-to-face -face class coursework so that they can then have their schedule one that they can continue to do their work oh, wow. as well as do their studying. So they've used it in that way. But part of it is I think we've been successful in it because we really teach our faculty how to make it an engaged learning process. They can bring their syllabus from a face-to-face -face class and bring it into our faculty development center, and they will work with the faculty to make it into an engaged learning process. Mm -hmm. So some of the students, it works out very, very well. I've talked to some students who said that it was the only way that they could succeed because they might have a family, lived out in Livermore, right. couldn't commute to the Hayward campus or to the Concord campus, and could do the online coursework. And on the online, the faculty member sometimes oftentimes, I believe, actually keep better track of an mm -hmm. individual student and know how they're progressing 
because they can see what they're logging into and what they're responding to and then tell them they've got they've got to either catch up or they're doing great right. keep it up so i think there's different kinds of students that are going to resonate with that and different faculty too same thing i just read an article recently that like i think it was 74% of the student population is actually what's considered a non-traditional student now like either they're a single parent or they didn't get a traditional high school degree or they're taking online courses or things like that so i think the way that you're describing that kind of movement towards a more specific type of education process is, is more and more common. I, I don't know if that's just me, but that's what it seems like. And, and how, do you, how do you judge the success of something like that? So part of it is through whether students take those courses, mm -hmm. whether they'll use that medium. And one of the ways that we've been able to look at that is if we offer a course online, the same course online, or in a face-to-face -face setting, the online will fill up before the face-to-face -face really? class, wow. right? And and basically, it has to be a good learning process for the student too, mm -hmm. right? So they're the judge. If they don't sign up for them, you know that that's probably not the route to go, mm -hmm. but they are ready to sign up for those and to take those and to see if the success rate is as good or better, which it has been yeah. on the online versus the face-to-face. What other kind of feedback do you get from students other than whether or not they're signing up for classes, whether or not they're passing or failing classes? Do you open yourselves up to student feedback and, and what they want to see in their education? In terms of their coursework, they can do evaluations at the sure. end of every term, right? So they can do evaluations of the faculty member and the, and the course. Uh, we do try to engage our students in terms of conversations about what would be helpful, right? One of the things that we want to do is really working towards doing more internships for our students. So then they can go out and hopefully apply some of what they learned to a place that they might want to, a, a job that they might want to have in the future with an employer or that kind of line of work. And so that's part of what goes on too, where we talk to companies and different employers, potential employers, about what they're looking for in our students right. also. Real world practical mm -hmm. experiences yes. is, is becoming such a big part of any education and continuing education too. Right. So what trends do you want to see moving forward as the president of your university, but in, in education, in the education space in general, what do you think is, is the best way forward for students? I think one of the things, or well, one of the concerns I've had was that there's a lot of questions about whether college is worth it. And as I said earlier, I believe that college is not right for everybody, but for the students that want to, want to go to college, want to hopefully move themselves up in the socioeconomic sphere or be more prepared for whatever kind of career they want, I think it's an important component of what they've got to do. So I think if we can help students, I mean, the ones that come to us, we want to try to meet them hopefully where they are and then provide the kind of services, the kind of opportunities, the kind of information they need. For us, with so many first-generation college students, they don't have somebody else to rely on. Mm -hmm. So they need more of my staff and faculty to reach out to them and to touch base with them. Maybe alumni, too. We get alumni who want to mentor students. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing that we can do that, and we then really reach out to students and offer them alternatives. Talk about what they want to do with their future. Talk about what kind of paths they might take, what opportunities might arise. Because otherwise, students come in and... They know what they've seen on TV or in movies and, right. and glamorize a profession or an idea of what they want to do. And it's a very small circle then 
of opportunities that they see. There's a whole world out here, right? With new jobs being created every every day sure. and different types of things. I mean, with the changes that have occurred, right? Over the next 10 years, there are jobs that will be there that we've never thought of, that are doing different things that we've never even envisioned and solving problems that don't even exist today, Yeah. right? So those are the things that we've got to be ready to tell our students and engage them and to really try to help nurture their growth right. and their potential to succeed. Right. Those are the known unknowns mm -hmm. that you yes. just have to prepare for. We talked a little bit before we started recording that East Bay just switched to a kind of a semester system, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that change and why you wanted to do that. Okay. So this is our 61st year of existence since mm -hmm. we were founded. And we were on the quarter system, which meant 10-week classes and yep. finals, 10-week classes and finals. Could actually do four quarters in a year. So the number of universities and colleges were set up that way, over 30% of them at one point in time. But over time now, less than 10% of the college universities across the country are on the quarter system mm -hmm. yet. And the quarter system is very fast-paced. It goes quickly. And Part of what happens for the CSU is over half of our new students come in are transfer students from the community college mostly okay. or other four-year colleges. Right. The other half are first-time freshmen. In California, out of the 114 community colleges, only three are left on the quarter system. Okay. And so part of it, half of our transfers, especially when 60% of them are first-gen, have gone through one system, the semester system like they did in high school. They then have to come to us, come to a new place, and get acquainted with our new university, but then have to be in a quarter system. It goes much faster pace. Right. So the opportunity, as one faculty member described it, the quarter system is unforgiving. <laughs> and basically, if you don't do well at the very beginning, you're probably not going to be able to catch up. And the semester will give you more time. The other thing we offer at Cal State East Bay is our faculty on the undergraduate classes work very closely with our students. We have very few teaching assistants. So it's almost all one-to-one -one with a faculty member. Mm -hmm. And so their research projects, their creative writing and arts kind of things that they could do, projects they can do with their faculty. And so our faculty work very closely with our students. So it'll stretch out the time that they'll be able to work on those projects with their fac individual faculty members. And so I think that's an, another side benefit to it. But what occurred in this process and what I, when I approached the faculty to talk about the fact that we were going to convert would be this is their opportunity to recreate the university without having to build the bricks and mortars, without having to hire people, that they can really change what they teach. They can reinvent their discipline and their program. And that's what they did. Over 80% of our programs transformed themselves. Wow. So they made themselves a 21st century discipline rather than what had been created 60 years ago or over the past 60 years and by increments had changed but not really revamped and so you had new faculty junior faculty and our senior faculty sitting together in their departments talking about what they needed to do around their discipline how things had evolved how where things were going into the future and how they can set up their program what was some examples of things that they wanted to change? So I think part of it was in terms of what kind of foci on, yeah. the, on the courses. Mm -hmm. So they actually changed their curriculum. 
so that, you know, maybe some courses they would no longer teach because those are no longer applicable. Yeah, they just get rid of them altogether. Exactly. Wow. Yes. And so they did that. They had, there's always concentrations. One thing is you have your major and then you can have concentrations. Well, they eliminated a number of concentrations because okay. those are no longer applicable or important. And then really trying to change and look at what kind of coursework, what kind of learning was really necessary. And then within that, embed what I talked about earlier, institutional learning outcomes, embed those kinds of opportunities to teach students about all those other things we want them to know how to do, to work in teams, to collaborate, to problem solve, to think creatively, all those types of things into their courses too. So those are some of the great things I think that occurred during this process. What's been the biggest surprise in the process? What were you not expecting that is like, oh my God, what a great idea? (laughs) Usually when new faculty are hired, and over the course of the last seven years, I've had 171 new faculty members, mm-hmm. and we have 342 tenure-track faculty, so just exactly half of the faculty I've hired are now part of the new faculty or the tenure-track faculty. What I didn't expect was that, and usually when junior faculty come in, you know, you, you come into a department or you come into a company, you don't usually sit around and talk to everybody else, your colleagues, about, you know, the company or how you got to where you are. You might talk about a bit about that, but you don't talk about what you do exactly. Right. And when the new faculty came in, because we were going through this process, they got to sit with the senior faculty and everybody shared their belief about their discipline, about what was important, about maybe what they tried it, the senior faculty might have tried, didn't work, and they could go back and forth and learn from each other. And that doesn't happen in universities very often, where faculty will sit in a department and really share a lot of their deep beliefs yeah. about their discipline, why they got into it, what they will, what they think our students need to learn. And this was the opportunity to do that. So that was something I had not expected that I thought was fantastic. (laughs) That's awesome. And it sounds like such a great way to open up a dialogue and kind of work collaboratively to make the best experience, not just for the students, but for the teachers too. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, no. So then it got into a lot of their research too, what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, we're primarily, quote unquote, a teaching institution. We also do a lot of research. And I said, and they share that research with their students and have them involved in it and get them on papers with them as authors, as co-authors of papers and, and, and parts of the project. So yeah, it really provided a special opportunity for our faculty to get together and really share a lot amongst each other. Ultimately, in the end, at the end of the day, what does success mean to you as, as somebody who has made education your main goal? Success means that we continue to be able to provide that opportunity to anybody that wants to come in that has worked hard to be academically prepared, but wants to work hard to then get a degree and better themselves. I guess my goal is that our students leave with the notion that they're going to go out and make a difference in the world in whatever they do. But I also want them to go back to their communities and give back to their communities through civic engagement. We have uh, students involved in service learning enterprises throughout. It's important to give back to the community, remember where you came from, and try to return some of what you got to that community. Yeah. But as I said, make a difference. I want them to go out and believe that what's important is that they go out there take what they've learned and do something for the good of everybody. For the end of the interview, we're going to do like a quick lightning round. Just okay. some quick fun questions to get to know you a little bit on a personal level instead of a professional level. So first question, what 
are some of the favorite books you've read over the last year? There's a book by Justin Dillon called A Selfish Plan to Change the World. Okay. That really resonated well. We actually gave Justin a honorary doctorate. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes, he wants to find a way to end human slavery across That's the world. That's a good goal. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and he's got quite a thing. But he laid out a strategy of how basically any individual could figure out their passion. He calls it their riot. Mm-hmm. But find out what their passion is and how do you go about doing something about it beyond just giving dollars to groups that will help save individuals instead of change the world and go back to the root problem and the root cause of the problem mm-hmm. and then try to make that a difference. Okay, adding that to that Amazon cart right now. What about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Any no, favorites? I don't. Not a podcast guy? <laughs> I'm not a podcast guy. This will guy. be your favorite. That, that's probably so. <laughs> what about playlists or music? Are you? Do you listen to music? Yes, I like some different artists. <laughs> now I'm blanking in my mind here. <laughs> but yeah, I've gone to some concerts and stuff. I have two boys that live in Las Vegas. So oh, okay. uh, I got to hear Bruno Mars in Las Vegas. And that was really quite cool. He's I've, a good uh, performer. Yes. You know, I have different people I enjoy seeing. All right. What about guilty pleasures or go-to snacks or what do you, what do you munching on? Oh, I try to be good. <laughs> I, I like nuts a lot. I'll eat a lot of pistachio nuts and things like that. I've tried, tried to be healthy overall, so I stay away from a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. What about your favorite way to like kick back and relax? I will try to do things outside, walk around, do things, go, go to sporting events. I love the Warriors. I love the A's. You got uh, good teams this yes, year. Yes, <laughs> I know. They're doing well. So watch different activities like that. Nice. All right. Last question. You said giving back is important. For you personally, it's, it's something that you want to instill in people. If you could give advice, one, if leave the audience with one piece of advice to achieve that kind of success, what would it be? Remember all the people that helped you along your path because none of us gets to where we are by ourselves and there's a lot of people that aided us and so pay it back and help out others awesome dr marshita thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it thank you 